Hello and welcome to NCEA Podcast. This is Kevin Baxter, the Chief Innovation Officer for NCEA, and thanks for joining us this week. Uh, we are in a transitional time, which is uh, obviously understood by all of you listening out there. We have tremendous uncertainty ahead with regard to Catholic schools and schools in general, um, with coronavirus across the country and um, having it at different levels of um, impact at different parts of the country. We have schools trying to think about how to reopen schools, and it's a time for innovation and adaptation. Uh, and we have to think about that at the school level. We have to think about that at the diocesan level. And at our level at NCEA, we're thinking about it as well. And of course, it's really a, a challenging time to be building this plane as we move forward. So I am honored, blessed, and happy to have Jill Annabel with us from the Diocese of Grand Rapids. Jill is the Assistant Superintendent for Curriculum Instruction and Technology Integration, uh, and they are doing some wonderful things with adult learning uh, with their principals and teachers in Grand Rapids. I was blessed to have visited uh, Michigan back in November. I had a nice uh, over two feet of snow up in uh, Traverse City, Jill, but uh, by the time I got down to Grand Rapids, it was a little bit better. So how are you doing? Yeah, that was a fun visit. Uh, I'm doing well. It's been a it's been quite the ride the last few months. Um, we can all feel it. <laughs> We're all really tired and we shouldn't be at this time. Um, it's, this is usually the time for uh, rejuvenation and prayer and slowing down. And that's just not how this this season is feeling. So, uh, so we're doing well, but uh, considering all the circumstances. Jill, are you there? Oh my goodness, my computer just crashed. I don't know what happened <laughs> at your end, but everything went, I got had the black screen of death. Oh, gosh. That's okay. So we're still recording, which is good. I've already given John, our editor, a note, and I I wasn't even sure if you were going to be able to get back in or not. Um, I just kept so. clicking. So I'm back in, and I am plugged in. There's no reason why that happened, but it's okay. okay so. That's okay. That happens. And so okay. you were just sharing a little bit about how you were doing in the diocese and, and uh, with a lot of prayer, and obviously it's a time for kind of rejuvenation, and it's hard to rejuvenate. It is hard to rejuvenate, but we are... Um, you know, we're back at it. And I'm, I'm really thankful for all of our principals and teachers who really haven't gotten a break. And, uh, and we're just, we're, we're in this together um, in a way that we haven't been in the past. So it's been refreshing to, to work as a team with everyone as well. So I want you to start by talking a little bit about your classroom learning labs and, and kind of what you're doing in terms of your um, teachers for next year. Um, but I also, I, I, and I should have set this up, I started off with really, how are you? Which I was really impressed, <laughs> kind of, that's how you start your, your uh, Zoom gatherings and kind of like a how are you, very informal to just try to get a bead on how people are doing. And talk a little bit about that um, in terms of how you start those. Sure, so we, um, on our day that we had to go to remote learning, and um, in Michigan here, we all kind of closed together on the same day. It, uh, Dave Faber, the superintendent, and I kind of looked at each other and said, we need to call an immediate principals meeting. How are they? And so we began that meeting with, how are you? And it only took us a few days to realize that the teachers needed that as well. Um, although the principals were working with the teachers, very hands-on, we realized from our office, as I oversee curriculum and instruction, and technology integration, which is an ironic title for this era. It's everything. Um, but it, 
we realized that we needed to just blindly call a meeting with no agenda and simply ask, just, uh, which is very humbling as a teacher to have no uh, lesson plan and just say, how are you? Uh, we began with third, fourth, and fifth grade teachers, just an open invitation, see how many showed up. We were overwhelmed with how many showed up. Um, this was by, you know, we closed on March 12th, and this was about a week later. And we had no agenda besides how are you, and they really told us. They really told us, and that really drove what they needed next. We didn't even know going into that meeting if we needed more meetings, but we realized that they wanted to meet weekly. And so since it was a successful hour, I would I, I think now looking back, um, we did that for every grade level. So preschool and then K to two, three to five, six to eight and nine through 12. And then we just continued our already sustained groups of our principals on a weekly basis, our student support services network on a weekly basis and our educational technology network on a weekly basis. And we really, it, it evolved into having some agenda items, but very loosely, um, we really shared, we really shared the responsibility of who was going to speak to that meeting, making sure it wasn't just the voice of the Office of Catholic Schools telling teachers what to do. Because in reality, I was more curious what they were doing on the ground than what they would think I need to share with them. So um, really led to some great conversations. Yeah, that's great. And you talked about the numbers who showed up. Uh, one of the things we started doing um, was was check-ins with superintendents and principals. We do it twice monthly, uh, twice for superintendents, and then the other off weeks were with principals. And uh, we were stunned by the by the turnout, especially initially when the pandemic first hit and, and everyone got shut down. And then we were hearing from superintendents in other parts of the country who said, oh, yeah, we had a state meeting and everyone showed up everyone never shows up, you know? And so I do find that's, that's one of the interesting things. And you talk about being a technology integration person. I'm a chief innovation officer for gosh sakes. And so this stuff happens and they all look and say, what are you going to do? But I do feel like just having that platform is, is so important um, in terms of connecting people and your willingness to kind of listen and say, you know, what are you doing? We're not the experts here. We're really trying to hear from you. Um, it's just a great approach to, to connect with them. Yeah, I think we needed it because there was no way I was going to know off the cuff with no lesson plan what, um, what people needed. And when they started asking of each other questions, we started to get a sense of the patterns of those questions and who to tap into within these grade level bands of who needed what next. And some of it led to one-on-one -on -one support and other things became the topic of the next week's check-in. And we naturally do that with principals. I think we are um, meeting with principals so regularly that that just feels natural. But at the teacher level, um, you know, it really just, it, it became another way for them to get to know each other. Like most dioceses, we are spread pretty far and our outlying schools don't get to um, see the city schools as often. And this really leveled that playing field and everyone could attend. And I think that was a big game changer in how we deliver professional development and build these networks into the future is that we learned that we don't have to meet in person and it's still gonna be okay. And that actually we're getting better attendance than when we call a meeting um, for them to come downtown and meet with us. 
So I'm not sure if I shared this with you when I was in Grand Rapids, but I, I, I talked to Dave about it a little bit. But in terms of what we were thinking about at NCEA, and this is all pre-COVID, it was really this idea we were calling them professional learning networks. And we purposely tried to avoid the PLC um, because we weren't really building community. But we were trying to build these networks of Catholic educators, small groups, five to ten people, who would meet via Zoom once a month. And um, all of the people on the call would be similar. They would do similar jobs in Catholic education. So they'd all be elementary principals, for example, or all would be kindergarten teachers or all would be assistant superintendents. And it was really designed a couple of things designed uh, around um, building kind of a larger sense of community. Uh, giving a platform for collaboration and allowing people to problem solve, to bring their own challenges and issues to a group that, of people who were doing that similar job so they could help solve. Um, I remember first talking about this in the early fall, and and there was never resistance. People were kind of excited about it, but people really didn't get it. And it's hard to think back in a time when people didn't understand Zoom or how, how that worked. But there was some, really, how are they going to connect? And so it's interesting to see this now. Um, were you doing any of this type of work prior to COVID, or is this uh, is some of this stuff and how you're thinking about it um, kind of a post-COVID approach? Yeah, it's sort of both. And what's, what's funny though, Kevin, is it sounds like that's why you're that's why you're an that's why you have innovation in your title is that you were ahead of your time and realizing what we needed when we needed it. And actually, I've been in the tech director network. Um, with John Reyes, we and we ironically had our monthly meetings really began right as we all were home. I remember we had an evening meeting and I had, it was, you know, bedtime at my house, but it was so great to feel connected for an hour with other people thinking about technology in Catholic schools. And everyone's roles are so different depending on where you are in the country and which school you're in, but it was it was great. I needed that network. I needed to see things beyond our narrow vision where we are in West Michigan. Um, and, you know, we've met periodically since then. So it's it's been great. So your vision paid off right in the timing when we needed it to be to be moving. And, uh, and that was good. But no, I, I did not have that. Um, I was not ahead of my time in thinking about doing things virtually, although we have we had led some things that that got us into a better place once March rolled around. And that was, we've been building toward a common LMS, a learning management system for our schools. So we had three schools already in a common instance of Canvas. That's what we went with. And we were realizing in these first couple weeks of remote learning that the three schools in Canvas were leaps and bounds up beyond where our others were who were trying to, you know, do Google Classroom and just some some local things because it was never going to integrate with the other technologies that the school was using because it wasn't set up at the diocesan level with the Google domain and with our student information system. So we were learning that we did lay some foundation up to that point. We also had been doing classroom learning labs where we go in and watch each other teach. And we talked about that uh, in the recent webinar that watching each other teach feels like instructional rounds, like a hospital's instructional rounds. Um, teachers don't watch each other teach often enough. So we really tried our best in the last three years or so to get our teachers in each other's buildings across the diocese, watching other expert teachers. And we've done many of them, um, probably 200 of these classroom learning labs over time. And now we have all of this recorded content of 
of classrooms that we really just need to transfer that thinking, that protocol that we've created just needs to transfer into the virtual space. This is a great time for us to, like a football team watches film, this is a great time for us to watch each other teach in a virtual way. And I think um, all those layers of foundation have helped us to collaborate much stronger once you know we're in this era now but I know I we, we we had not been calling virtual meetings very often. We've tried a few with principals, but now we know we can do it. So there's just no turning back. And I'm hoping that we've we've been in this phase long enough to not try to go back to old ways on some of these things, just because it feels more comfortable. Hopefully, we've kicked the habit, and we've realized that we can be comfortable in this space as well. Yeah, that's absolutely um, great. And I was struck by your instructional rounds conversation and talking about, um, you know, one of the best things you can have a teacher do and, and even to affirm teachers sometimes because they don't get that affirmation is to simply say, can I come watch you teach? Even though it might cause some anxiety on their part, it's also very complimentary. Um, and you also said on that webinar, you talked about leaning into our expertise um, that we have within the diocese within a school. And I think that's often overlooked by Catholic educators. And I think with these professional learning networks, the same concept applies that if you bring these people from around the country um, who all do the same thing, you're going to have just a variety of gifts, a variety of of talents that, uh, and they're going to possess things that you don't possess. So you're going to participate and you're going to bring something to it, but you're going to learn from it as well. So um, talk about that idea of leaning into your own expertise, either within a school or within your diocese. Yeah, you know, and, and we know this about our schools. We have expert teachers. We have skilled principals. We don't need to always pay for that top-notch external speaker to come in. We, we more often just need to listen to each other and allow ourselves to be vulnerable to sharing. We learned in these first couple weeks of of the how's it going weekly check-in that our teachers were starting to share things that they were trying. And um, and we were using that time to celebrate those risks that they were taking because they were paying off. And so um, my co-leader, Erin Weaver, she is our educational technology specialist. The two of us were really facilitating these hourly meetings. And we realized, um, you know, as I'm looking back to the topics we tackled, those first couple of weeks were all about managing transitions and how is everyone doing and what do you need to set up so you're successful. But then we started realizing, you know, there was a teacher talking a lot about Seesaw. This wasn't the first year that they tried Seesaw. So then I would tap into them in an in email and say, hey, next week, can you just show us your Seesaw for a couple minutes? And they'd say, Ooh, I don't know. And I'd say, just five minutes, just give us five minutes and I will bail you out if it sounds, if you get nervous, it's okay. And then we'd get a lot of people just say, okay. And that felt like we really honored that they tried something and the risk was worth it. And then it would turn into the next week, someone else had tried, you know, Khan Academy mappers. And then someone else had built a rubric that looked great. And then, and then I, it reminded me of something I've read. So then the next week I would share something professionally I've read that reminded me of this group of teachers. And by these small nuggets, just like in a classroom, the little mini lessons, the 10 minute spots or five minute spots of sharing, really, we know teachers will listen to each other. So once they realize that their colleague across town tried it and didn't fall flat on their face, and now they can call on that person if they want to try it themselves and need someone to reach out to, we're learning that that makes a bigger impact 
than us trying to tell teachers what to do or principals um, guiding their teachers. All those things have to happen, but we do know that teachers trust each other. And that's what happened uh, pre-COVID when we were doing classroom learning labs and watching each other teach. That's very vulnerable, but it's really paid off. And now we're seeing it virtually that tapping into people who are willing to take risks allows conversations to happen because it's not an expert on the stage. And it reminds me, I'm an English teacher by trade. I had 10 years of teaching English and math at the middle school and high school level. And English teachers know this about students drafting writing. We can show them the expert writers all day. They can be well-read in the classics, but they need to see a writer who's one step ahead of them. They need to see a draft of a fellow student that is super messy. And that's what teaching looks like. The real teaching is messy. It's not the stage on the stage. It is messy and hard and, and decision-making every 10 seconds. And so anytime that our teachers can model that for each other, they will be motivated to try a little bit more and maybe a new tool or maybe a new strategy, but it's much different than watching an expert who's been doing it forever. That's such a great point. And, and you know, even hearing about your... Um... The classics, you know, you want to see the classics, but the classics were messy at one point too, right? For kids to really fully understand the fact that uh, that nothing comes out perfect. And so drafts and revision and editing and input and all of those things. Um, and for teachers to really embrace that because it's what you want your students to do. So oftentimes teachers might have a harder time because they want it from their students, but it's hard for them to, to really embrace. Yeah. You, you talked about... Um, a little worry, not in a worry, maybe it's too strong a word, but, but do we transition back to kind of how we've done it before? Like if we had this, this big shock to the system in March and we moved to virtual and there's some things probably that didn't work so great. There are things that worked well, but, but there's some learnings. And this is what I keep trying to wrestle with and think about is how do we incorporate what we've learned and really make Catholic schools better? Because mm -hmm. um, obviously this transition wasn't ideal. It's not something we would have wished ever. But we've had some positive things that teachers have learned and adapted to technology and new apps and new ways to do things. How do you ensure that teachers don't lose that um, as we move into the coming school year? And maybe not even the coming school year, but when we get on the other side of the virus and we are fully back uh, in in-person um, instruction? Well, I think the biggest thing is just we know ongoing embedded PD is the way to go. And so I think as we pick back up, we're not gonna do weekly, but we're gonna do about every other week, checking in with these same groups of teachers by these grade bands mm -hmm. and reminding them of the conversations we've had and continuing to push them forward. I think the biggest thing too, you didn't really, you didn't ask this, but I keep thinking about the biggest shock to our teacher systems is that the school day is, kind of built on the average kid. But when you take the students out of the building and you bring them home, you realize that it takes every student a different amount of time to get through the content and they all need something different. We know this in theory. We know this in theory and and PD we would have done a year ago would have put you know, we would have been talking about differentiated instruction and pacing students. I mean, actually, Kevin, that's why you came to Grand Rapids. You were looking at our at our WINGS model, and, and it's all built on that, students setting goals and, and students knowing where they are and pushing them forward independently. But in practice, it's really hard for teachers to take that leap. But when we were suddenly all at home, we realized that every single student needs something different. And... Um, 
And I hope that we don't go back into classrooms and still teach all third graders in September that same thing. And then, and then we move on to our favorite unit because we've always been a third grade teacher and we really want to teach about dinosaurs or whatever it is. We really need to think about instead what each student knows. And that gap widened tremendously over the summer. We know the achievement gap between um, students of color uh, and our white students is going to widen. We also know that there's a million factors that will widen this gap among our students. And I worry that our teachers um, need a lot of time to think through how, how will they teach each student independently um, because they know better now. They know that that's what they need. Yeah. Um... It's, it's great thinking. You brought up the WINGS model. I, I had this uh, kind of for later in our chat, but I'll, I'll talk oh. about it now because um, I was. I was, at one, I was out in Grand Rapids looking at the WINGS model for um, our, our work on micro schools, which, um, you know, again, we've redefined as kind of schools, you know, with 100 kids or give or take 10, 20 kids. Um, and essentially, this was something, again, we were working on pre-COVID uh, about uh, supporting Catholic schools that might be uh, low enrolled to have a sustainable model and uh, talked about that before and it's something we are still working on it's obviously taken a little bit of a backseat to our most immediate pressing needs uh, at the start of the school year i bring it up because one of the things we're starting to wrestle with not wrestle with but really think through a little bit clearer is is it a micro virtual model is there some virtual component to this um and i don't know if uh in grand rapids you've given any thought to that or the the wings model schools if they've given any thought about um how do you you might have the 100 kids uh, you know in uh, on your school site but are there another 100 kids or 200 kids um, who would be learning virtually at the same time and um, so i'm just curious about your thoughts on that yeah well what's funny is during all this transition it's divine providence academy the, our school uses the wings model who's really had the easiest time thinking about how to write lesson plans and deliver instruction and work with small groups of students and individual students throughout a week way way easier than our other schools being able to conceptualize it and so oh sorry can you hear there's a fire alarm going off in my building right now <laughs> of all things can you hear it yeah that's okay yeah you could just keep going we'll be okay let me make sure i don't have to evacuate so give me 10 seconds sorry all right so no worries that's a good thing to check Okay, Kevin, I need to get out of the building. I'm no worries. My phone and I hope everything's <laughs> okay. Uh, just shoot me an email when you're back. Thanks, Jill. All right, we're going to continue now with uh, Jill Annabelle from uh, the uh, Diocese of Grand Rapids. Um, uh, we had a little interruption with a fire alarm, so we're glad to be back and glad to have Jill back uh, in the building. Um, so, Jill, we're talking about PD, uh, delivering it virtually. One of the things I'm really um, thinking about a lot in terms of, and you've probably seen this as well, but the amount of time people are spending on Zoom or some kind of you know platform looking at a screen all day. I find being in Zoom meetings is much more intense than being in an in-person meeting. And so when you're thinking about that in terms of delivering um, either content, um, like in a session format or in some type of professional learning community, um, how do you take that all into consideration? 
I think it's been interesting because there is definitely a shift there on how many meetings you can cram into a day. I think we've all had days where we felt like we were in video calls all day long. And the the beauty though, so if we, if we go to the positive here, it's that you can very quickly enter and leave a meeting when you're doing it virtually. And so our capacity to be in overlapping meetings or to quickly exit a meeting is much different than trying to be in a meeting live in a room with others because there is transition time and travel time. And, um, and I'm hoping that being connected with, with colleagues, uh, that the positives outweigh the negatives and that our ability to be in these meetings are fruitful. And I think if we're able to do them in an invitational way instead of a mandated way, I think people are really enjoying being connected with others who are in the same boat, in the same ocean, <laughs> is that we're trying to do, we're all, we're all reaching toward similar goals and that it's paying off. Now, it's easier to do that if if the whole world is working remotely. And I think we saw that in the spring. We could call a teacher meeting at 11 a.m. And as long as we were consistent every week, they could build that into their schedule that they were building with their students and with their own faculties and in their classrooms and their students, everybody. But when we are planning for the fall, we may have some schools in session and some schools at home and all these meetings now shift into the afternoon and evening. And that is going to be a new world. And we're not quite sure what that will feel like if we're able to have as high of attendance, if we also have bells going off and fire drills going and, and all kinds of things happening in the background, it's going to be much harder to call a meeting than when we're all home. So it's really going to, we're really not sure, but I think one thing we've learned is flexibility and that's probably going to be the biggest factor. Right, right. And, uh, and that's for sure. Catholic educators and all educators really need to be flexible because you never know what's going to What's going to change? You know, when we're planning our uh, what we're going to do for this year, you had mentioned earlier um, about ongoing embedded PD. And when we think about this, because we're going to do um, a new leadership course, we're very, very excited about this for for uh, principals, uh, assistant principals, people who are new to their school within the last uh, year or two. Um, we'll have a whole course, a year long course that's built out around that. And what we're really thinking through is is what are the multi modalities that we want to deliver that you know so we'd have a a session that we deliver content um you know for some period length of time but then we want to follow that up with a professional learning kind of network community where they'd have an opportunity to collaborate again with others who are doing similar work and then follow that up with a one-on-one -on -one coaching session and so we're really trying to think about how we deliver this and again you know i think this is where you know, the benefits of being virtual, it gives us this capacity to be able to do these things in a way where we get these touch points um, that we wouldn't necessarily be able to do if we were in person. So do you think about that in terms of the different ways? Um, and I know you're really kind of bringing people together to collaborate, but the way you're delivering pieces and thinking about those multimodalities that you have to really deliver on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we know they have to be sizable chunks, thinking about a first year principal and uh, we have we have many uh, first and second year principals in our diocese right now and just um, it's it's hard to think of the right amount of the different pieces that need to go together but we've learned that it's a both and that if it's a little bit of learning with a little bit of conversation and then I think you're on the right track there with the 
the one-on-one follow-up or the coaching sessions or the mentorship, I think all of those pieces together will make that sustainable. And I, we do the same thing. We're learning, we're in year two of all teachers, all principals learning theology of the body so that we can implement that um, in all of our theology classes from preschool to 12th grade. And so we, um, we're doing the same sort of thing, a little bit of, of a little bit of reading uh, coupled with conversation with a school-based faculty, and then our principals coming together to reflect on what their teachers have learned has just been multiple layers of learning. And if it's, I think if the expectations of what you're signing up for are clear from the get-go, um, and they see those systems of support overlapping each other, that's going to be very successful um, for new principals or for any any teachers who are jumping into embedded ongoing PD. You just you just know that the relationships are there, and when the relationships are there, you're going to learn more. So, I think we're on the right track, yeah. Kevin. I think these are the types that's of great. things that are different than the one shot PD. Um, that we've all been to and we, we find a lot of value in those moments, but it, it can't be the only option for us to, to learn. Um, I think networks and collaboration are always much stronger. Yeah. I was struck by your uh, conversation with John um, Reyes too, about uh, the importance of teacher efficacy and John Hades work in terms of how much that impacts student learning and I think about this conversation we're having around um, kind of ongoing embedded PD and obviously the quality of the content and the quality of the person delivering the content. Um, that's a teacher efficacy question, right? It, it, the more effective we can deliver that uh, to adult learners, uh, we would expect the same results that you'd see from teacher effectiveness impacting student learning. Thank you for joining us for this NCEA podcast. We had a few uh, minor technical issues, uh, so hope that didn't uh, damage your enjoyment of this episode. We're so grateful to Jill and Abel, who uh, joined us from the Diocese of Grand Rapids, Michigan, to uh, share her wisdom and knowledge on adult learning and how that can inform uh, us for this coming school year. We're grateful to you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you uh, next time on NCA Podcast. This is Kevin Baxter, Chief Innovation Officer. God bless.